What's up? Come on now. Hey, now listen. I'm, sta- I'm standing over there right there listening to that band. And, uh, and I thought about a guy that I knew in college. Um, he, wasn't, he didn't look like anybody else here. I'll just say that, all right? He did not look like us. And, uh, and he would hear, he liked to listen. He was in the gospel choir that we had at our school. And he liked to listen to gospel. I was, I, he was my sweet mate one summer. And uh, so we shared a bathroom, and I could hear what he'd play when he was taking a shower, and he listened to these gospel things. And then when it would really get good, like that was good and good, he was pretty laid back, and he would just go, well, all right. Well, all right. And I was standing over there a while ago when Josh was tearing up that, uh, that red guitar there, and, and uh, the band was kicking in, and I was thinking, well, all right, all right. This is all right here now. Hey, uh, give those guys a hand. They work hard every week. And um, I don't know, uh, I don't know how, you, how, how familiar you are with what goes on here and how things work. Uh, we pay them a grand total of nothing for doing that every week. And, and that's what you get uh, for nothing. That's pretty doggone good, isn't it? And, uh, and I'm going to tell you this. If we brought in a group of professional musicians, it wouldn't sound any better than that right there. And, and, uh, but the best thing is, not just how it sounds, the best thing is, is that their heart is that they want to come in here and they want to help you worship. They want to help lead you in worship. And, uh, and they do that because they, they love Jesus, they love this church, and, uh, and they, love, they love getting to play. And so, uh, so that's, that's great. If you see these folks, uh, you know, out and about eating donuts before the service or whatever it is they're doing, just tell them thank you for what they do because they, they make a lot of sacrifices to do that every week. Hey, uh, we are starting a new uh, – oh, I, let me tell you this before we do that. Today, right after this service is over, when I'm done teaching – we're going to have another song, uh, closing song. After that is over, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to uh, have a meeting in here to talk about our future building plans. Those of you that came out to the church offices a couple weeks ago to eat homemade ice cream, you've already heard a lot of this information. Some of you, you haven't heard it yet, so we want to get it out there as much as possible. So we want to encourage you to stay if you're interested in that after the service is over to find out what our plans are for the future and, and what we're looking to do. So that's happening today, right after this service. All right, we're starting a, uh, starting a new series of messages today. Uh, you just saw the, the video for that, and uh, it's, it's called Supplement. Now, when you hear the word supplement, there, there might be some of you that you have a, um, you might have kind of a negative connotation for that word based on the last 10 to 15 years. One of the ways that the word supplement has been in the news a lot has been guys ruining the sport of baseball by taking a lot of extra supplements, some of them that they stick needles in their arms and all that stuff, and now you got guys hitting 70 home runs a season, and things that used to be warning track foul balls are now, you know, 450-foot home runs, that kind of thing. And uh, so there's some negative connotations. Also, there's some negative connotations to the word when you think about stuff you see advertised on television, which they promise all this stuff that you know that it cannot be true. The other day, I, I googled the word supplement just to kind of see what would come up. And man, let me tell you, if you are wanting to buy, spend some money on stuff, if you're wanting to spend some money to to have shinier hair or to grow your hair back or to have a memory boost or to perform better in an area that's not in church right now, but you get to do that alone with, with your husband or your wife, and it's godly when you're doing it with your husband or wife. You want to perform better there. If you want to, uh, see, now I can't even think of the other ones now because now my mind's thinking about that. Uh, oh, lose weight. If you want to lose weight. Yeah, there you go. That's another one. And that might help with that other thing too. I'm just saying. But anyway, um, 
Do you want to lose weight? It, it, just go online and they, there are people selling supplements that supposedly will help you with all of that stuff. Now, whether or not they can verify the claims, I'm not sure. But, but the word supplement is not a negative word, even though maybe in our, in our culture sometimes it seems negative. The word supplement, it just means to add something to something else in hopes of getting better results. So whether you're supplementing your income by adding another income stream, that's always a good thing. Whether you're supplementing something you're eating by, by putting in some flat seed so you'll have lower cholesterol or whatever it is that you're doing, we, we supplement things all the time. And there is a, there's a, a two verses or three verses in Scripture that talk about ways that, that we as followers of Jesus can supplement our lives, things that we can add to our lives to make us better followers of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about for the, for the next several weeks. And uh, so if you'll look with me, the, the, the book is Second Peter. It's in the New Testament. If you've got an old-timey Bible with pages in it, just keep on flipping and flipping and flipping. Get almost to the back, and you'll find First and Second Peter. And then uh, if you've got an a iPod, pad, uh, droid, or whatever Bible, just tap Second Peter, and you're, you're there, okay? Second Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, when, when we read that verse, the very first thing, if you just picked up the Bible like, like I just asked you to do, or just pulled it up, and you skipped the first four verses of Second Peter, and you just started with verse 5, and you read these words for this very reason. And when you do that, you should immediately stop and then go back and say, okay, what reason is Peter talking about here? He's saying for this very reason, what is the reason? So, so let's look back now at 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4 and, and see what he's talking about here. And it says this, 1 Peter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now this is a letter that... that, that Simon Peter is writing. Simon Peter, you might remember him if you grew up in church. He was, he was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the original 12 disciples. Later on, people started calling them the apostles because they had seen Jesus. They had hung out with Jesus. They could testify to his resurrection because they saw him die on the cross. They got to see him again and eat breakfast with him on the beach and do things like that again after he died. And so, so these, were, these guys were revered. Now, at this time in his life, Peter is writing this letter, so that's why he, he tells you who he is. And, you know, nowadays when we write a letter or we, we send an email at the end, we'll put something on it. Hey, thanks, Cliff Marshall, or Sir, Donnie always has serving with you, Donnie Kaufman, at the end of his emails. And we see that in those days, they would write it at the top, so you would immediately see who it was coming from. So Simon Peter says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, at this time, Simon was writing this letter from prison. He's in prison. He was in there for 30 days because he got messed up on a... No, I'm just kidding. No, what happened was is he was in there because he was teaching people about Jesus. And, and he lived in a time where the Roman government was in charge. And this was a bad Roman government. Uh, there was a guy in charge of the Roman government at this time by the name of Nero. Maybe you've heard of him. 
and uh, he was from South Rome because he played the fiddle. We know that to be true about him. And so Nero was in charge of Rome, and he was throwing people in jail for doing what Peter did, which is teaching the gospel, telling people that the cross, the resurrection is all true, telling people that he knew Jesus, he saw it with his own eyes. Peter was thrown in jail for that. And so, in fact, what, the other thing we know about this letter is shortly after he wrote this letter and shortly after this letter was delivered to the churches that, that, that it was delivered to, Peter was executed. So he, he suffered death for the sake and for the call of Jesus Christ. So it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, first, the thing that you notice here is Peter is writing this letter to who? He's writing it to people who already believe in Jesus. He's writing it to people who believe like him. They've heard the message. They've accepted this to be true. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to write this to them to let them know even though we live in an evil time, even though I've been put in jail for writing this, for telling people about this, I want you to know that God has not forgotten about us and, and, and he wanted to give them something to look forward to and give them some hope. And that's why he was writing this letter. And then we get to verses 3 and 4. And verses 3 and 4 are the reason that, that verse 5 says for this very reason. So what is the reason that Peter was talking about? Verse 3 says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire now i understand when you read that there's a lot of big theological sounding words in there it's got the word partaker in there which you probably are not going to say at all this coming week and so there's a bunch of words in there, and you're like, what in the world is that talking about? So let me, let me just make it easy, and let me summarize what Peter is saying there in verses 3 and 4. It's very simple. Peter is saying this. He's saying to the believers in Jesus, he's saying, your relationship with Jesus provides everything you need to live a godly life, even in an evil time. He's saying everything you need to live and be close to God, to live the life that God wants you to live, to, to live a Christ-like life, you have already got it. Jesus has already given that to you. And, and he talks in there about things like it, it comes from his divine power, and he's given us all of these things that pertain to life and to pertain to godliness in life. So, so Jesus is not in heaven unaware of our situation. He's not in heaven just watching what happens and thinks, well, let me see if these folks can get this done on their own. He has given us the tools that we need to do the job. And it says that he's done that by granting us his precious and very great promises. One of the best things to do if you, if you ever get, a, get into reading the Bible, which I hope you will, that's one of the things we encourage you to do here all the time is read the Bible for yourself. Every time you read the Bible and, and, uh, and you read where God makes a promise, you ought to write that down. And just carry it around with you so you can be reminded of that. Because that's what he says here. He says, he has granted us to his, uh, uh, his precious and very great promises. He's given us all of these things. So everything we need to live the Christian life, to follow Jesus, 
he has already given us. Now remember, when he wrote this, this was a very evil time. Much more evil even than when we, what we live in. I know that, that we, we tend to look at the world and, and things, are, things look rough, and I understand that, and I'm not saying that the world is great now, but they lived in a time where when you got up to come to church like you did today, you could be arrested and executed for that. They lived in a time where Nero was, was having people publicly executed on a regular basis just to make a point. You woke up this morning, you didn't have to worry about getting arrested coming to church unless you were really late and you were driving like 85 miles an hour. But just for coming to church, you didn't have to worry about it. You could come freely. You could walk, carry a Bible on your way in. You could wear a shirt that says, I love Jesus, I hate the devil, and nobody will arrest you for that because of where we live. But in the time that they lived, it was a very evil time. And so Peter is telling them, listen, Jesus has given you everything you need to combat these outside evil forces. But not only that, and here's what I think is so cool about this verse. Not only has Jesus provided for us what we need to combat the outside evil, but look at what the last thing. It says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, where does that come from? Does that come from outside? As much as we want to blame the outside, we'll say that it comes from the outside, but you know where that comes? That comes from deep down in here. There was a movie that came out several years ago that I never saw, not because it's a bad movie. I really don't know much about it. I just saw the poster, and I thought, I won't relate to that movie. Uh, it's a Tyler Perry movie, but I do relate to the, the title of it. And the title was, I Can Do Bad All By Myself. And I, I, I relate to that. I don't need any help. I can do bad all by myself. I have, I have a sinful nature that lives in me that wars against the, the, the godly nature that Jesus has imparted into my heart, and, it, and it, it causes struggles in my life. And so when he says there, he says that Jesus has given us the tools we need not only to combat the outside evil, but also to combat the evil that from the inward desire that comes out of our hearts. I think that is such a great promise to us. So let's get back to verse 5 for this very reason. So what he's saying here, verses 3 and 4 is the reason. So he said, Jesus has given you everything you need. And then you get to verse 5, he says, for this very reason. So he's saying, in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of the fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, in light of the fact that he came back from the grave to show that he was stronger than death, in light of the fact that he has given you the tools that you need to live out this daily life, now what are you supposed to do? In light of all that, so he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue with knowledge. Now notice, what are, what are we supplementing there? What does the word say? To supplement your, say it with me, faith. So, say it again, supplement your what? Faith. He says to supplement your faith. Now, I want you to notice what we're talking about here. You've got to have faith as the starting point. And that's why Peter was writing this to people who were already believers. Ephesians 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, when it talks about how we're saved, how we're saved from our sins, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Those two things work together. Now where does grace come from? 
grace is all from Jesus. We can do nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to deserve it. That's what grace is all about. We don't deserve it, and Jesus gives it anyway. What we deserve for our sin is we deserve to, to spend an eternity burning in hell for our sin. We deserve to be punished for that, but instead Jesus went to the cross and he took our punishment, and it's by his grace now that he took the punishment, and so instead of getting what we deserve, now we can have heaven instead. We can have a fulfilled life here on earth instead. And so that's the grace that only comes from Jesus. But at some point, Jesus died on the cross. At some point, we have to get to a point where we say, I believe that. And that's where faith comes in. It's the grace and it's the faith that works together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And so when Peter says there that we're supposed to supplement our faith, we're supposed to add to our faith all of these good things. But you've got to have faith to add those things to it. Um, on Memorial Day, just last, last week, um, we, went, uh, we couldn't afford to go to the beach, so we did the next best thing. We went to Dillard's to get ice cream, and, um, which was awesome. And I'll just say this, by the way, and I know some of y'all might be fans of this other place, but remember when Brewster's opened like five or six years ago? I told Grace and Emily, and I said, hey, let's go to Brewster's and see what that's like. And we even took our old dog, Buddy, because they had a, a, a thing that'd give you a free ice cream with a dog treat in it uh, for Buddy. And uh, we went there, and I took about two bites, and I said to the girls, I said, as long as Dillard's is open... I'm never coming back to this place again because this is a cheap substitute of what Dillard serves because that ice cream at Dillard's is just the best ice cream around. So we went there on Memorial Day to enjoy some good ice cream and to celebrate the fact that we live in a free country by getting fat and eating ice cream together, so it was great. And, uh, and we were there, and on our way in, I was walking in to go to the order in place, and there was tons of people lined up. And, you know, they got those seats right there to the right. There was a family sitting there, and there was about five of them, and they were all working together on a banana split. And just for a moment, I thought, you know what? I might get a banana split. Now, here's what makes a, there's a lot of stuff that makes a banana split awesome. But, you know, what makes a banana split awesome is, is all that extra stuff. You've got bananas, you've got whipped cream, you've got hot fudge, you've got those wet walnuts, and then they put a cherry on top. I mean, it's just, it's so good, all that extra stuff they put on a banana split. But now, what are they adding that stuff to? What is the base of a banana split? You can say it out loud, don't be scared. No, ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. Ice cream is the base of a banana split. In fact, if you don't have any ice cream, you've just got a tray of extras. And, and it's good, it'll be enjoyable to eat, but it's not a banana split, is it? It's, a, it's the ice cream that makes it a banana split. Now, all of this stuff that Peter lists in these verses... When he talks about knowledge and virtue and self-control and steadfastness and godliness, all of this good stuff, those are all good things. And you can try to add that stuff to your life. And if you add that stuff to your life and you don't have faith in Jesus, you might even be more enjoyable to be around. You might be a better person in your household and, and that kind of thing. But let me tell you what you won't be. You won't be any closer to God than you were before. Because we can't work ourselves into being closer to God. That comes because Jesus has saved us and he is drawing us to him. It's got to start with faith. It's got to start with faith. So all of this stuff that we're doing, remember, we are supplementing our faith. We are adding 
whipped cream on the top of our ice cream. We're putting a cherry on top of that. We're putting wet walnuts on there. We're putting hot fudge. We're putting a a frozen banana, split that thing down the middle and laying that on there. That's what we're doing to our faith is we are supplementing our faith. Faith is the base for all of this stuff we're supplementing. All right, so so let's look at the first one that, that Peter mentions there. And the first one that he talks to, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, one of the things about the Bible that some of you are probably familiar with is um, the Bible was not written in English. And um, it was written in languages that most of you were never going to speak, and most people today don't speak. Uh, the, the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew, that, and Hebrew is so weird that, that you don't even read it the same way. You read it opposite. It reads from right to left. And it's got all of these look square-looking letters. They don't look anything like the, the letters we use today. Now, the New Testament that, that we're reading today was written in a language called Greek. And, and it's not the Greek that they speak in Greece today. It's a more ancient form of Greek. And it's got a, a weird-looking alphabet, too, but it looks a little more like English. And you can kind of understand a little bit, but it's totally different. So one of the things that happens is, is when people interpret they take the, the old Greek, the, the letter that Peter wrote was in Greek, and they take that Greek letter, and they want to, to interpret that and to translate that into English. They begin to try to figure out, okay, what word, an English word, matches this Greek word. And so the word there that Peter uses for virtue, it's virtue in the, in the translation that I'm using today. If you're using another translation, it might say, uh, it says goodness in some translations. In another translation, it says moral excellence. And in fact, even in this passage that we're reading right here where Peter talks about it, in verse 3, where it says, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. And then the last word says excellence. That's the same word here that is called virtue. So so I know virtue is an old-timey sounding word, and I doubt this week, when you send your kids off to school, you're going to say to them, hey, be virtuous today. That's just not something we say anymore. But you might tell them, hey, be good today. Have you ever told your kids that? Yeah, you know, when they're little, you tell them that like every time they leave the house. Now, you be sure you're good today because if you're not, I'm going to give you a good whipping for not being good. That's what I'm going to do to you, right? That's what we tell our kids. Or you might tell them to do things with excellence. And so this word virtue here, it it, it might have a lot of different meanings, but the basic idea here is this, that that Peter tells us that we're supposed to supplement our faith with a desire and an ability to every single day, everything we do, do it in such a way that honors God, that, that that we live with moral excellence in such a way that honors God. Now, let me just be honest with you. That word excellence is kind of scary to me. Not in a like horror movie, you know, Texas Excellence Massacre kind of way, not like that. But it's, it's kind of scary to me in, in from the fact that um, I'm not always excellent. I'm not always morally excellent. And so that, that the first thing that I want you to understand today, we need to just deal with reality when we're talking about supplementing our faith. And the reality is this, we are going to fall short. We are going to fall short. And I think this is a hilarious thing for me to say on Graduate Recognition Sunday. We just had all these people down there, hey, the world is yours. You're going to accomplish everything. And then the pastor stands up here and says, you're going to fall short. You're not going to reach your goal. I'm not talking about necessarily job goals, but here's the reality of the fact. The reality is, is that 
that every day I want to, well, no, no, I don't even want to every day, so let me rephrase that. Every day I should want to glorify God with all of my actions, but I don't do that every day. I fall short of that, and so do you. That, that even sometimes when we desire that, and even sometimes when we want to live our total life in a, in a, in a state of virtue, where everything we do brings glory and honor to God, where it's done with moral excellence, it's done with goodness, there are days where I am going to be far from that. And the reason why is what I talked about a while ago. We have a sin nature that lives in us. But now just because I fall short, that doesn't mean I quit trying. Verse 5, at the beginning there, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, um, I'm going to tell you something about myself. Some of you already know this, but um, I, uh, I play golf regularly. It's, it's a regular occurrence. It happens about once every 10 years. And um, I'm, in fact, I'm a little past due. I, I'm supposed to play again pretty soon if I'm going to keep up my once every 10 years. But 10 years ago, it was actually about nine and a half years ago, the last time I played, I swore I'd never play again because I paid like 40 bucks. I spent all day in the woods, and, went, and then my shoulder hurt for three weeks. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to spend a Saturday than that. And so I haven't done it since. But now some of you... You love golf and you play all the time. In fact, if you just, just help me out here. If you play golf pretty regularly, more than once every 10 years, you enjoy it. Raise your hand so I can see you. All right, good. Now, okay, now those of you that raise your hand, raise your hand now if you've ever hit a hole-in-one. Well, Jesse Godsey's hit a hole-in-one over there. Uh, Mike Brees and Tracy Miller. All right, so out of everybody in here. Now, let, let me ask you this. The rest of you that have never hit a hole-in-one, have you ever thought, you know what, I'm going to quit because I didn't hit a hole-in-one today? You don't think that, do you? In fact, just the opposite. You don't, you don't think about quitting because you didn't get a hole-in-one. What do you think about? I need new grips. Uh, i got to get a set of irons like that guy I was playing with. I like his irons a lot. What kind of golf shoes are those? I'm going to get, that's got different spikes than mine's got. And next thing you know, you're, I, I need to get out there to the driving range and I've got to get a swing coach or whatever it is. And, and it's just the opposite. You're doing everything you can to try to get better at golf. Why? Because you love golf. You enjoy playing it. You want to be better at it. You don't quit just because you fell short of hitting a hole in one, right? And, and when, when it comes to supplementing our faith, we're going to fall short. There's going to be a day coming up where you're going to go and you're going to just blow it. You're going you're gonna to think, I'm going to do this for Jesus, and you're going to blow it, and it's going to not turn out the way you want it to. And you might even embarrass yourself and make a bad name for God with someone that's a friend of yours or whatever it is, but that doesn't mean that you quit. That doesn't mean that you turn around and never do it again. What we're supposed to do, Peter says, is you make every effort. You acknowledge the fact, you tell Jesus, Jesus, I don't have to tell you, you already know it, know it, but I just want to say it in front of you, I blew it today. I blew it with my faith. I wanted to do everything with virtue. I wanted to do everything with moral excellence, and I was far from being morally excellent today. But I want you to help me to get there tomorrow. You don't quit if you're not, if you're not perfect. And the reason you don't quit if you're not perfect is because we have to think about why we're doing what we're doing. He said, for, 
this very reason, make every effort, effort to supplement your faith. See, our motivation is to honor Jesus. Our motivation is to honor Jesus. That's our motivation. Our motivation is to honor Jesus. It's to honor Him, not to earn His love, but to honor Him. And, and to say, Jesus, what, what, what you did, what Peter talks about in verse 3 and 4, you've given us everything we need to, to accomplish living a godly life today. I want to honor you for that. I want to remember what you did on the cross. Last week, if you were here, we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Some of you might call it Holy Communion. And Donnie talked to us about what that means. And, and Donnie talked to us about the fact that, that God from the beginning of time has desired to have a relationship with us. It's an amazing fact that God desires to be in a relationship with you and me. And, and the fact that God desires to be in a relationship with us, and not only does He desire to be in a relationship with us, He's gone so far to, to keep that relationship intact that He was willing to die on a cross for us. And after doing all of that, there should be a time where we remember that. And if we remember that, then, then that will help us to live, to supplement our faith with virtue. If we can remember during the week, Jesus died for me, He loves me, Jesus was raised again, and He did that for me. Now, I understand that in the middle of a, of a busy week when you've just failed a test or lost a sale or you're in the middle of an argument with somebody or someone's talking about you or you're talking about them or whatever's going on, the cross of Jesus and the resurrection can seem very, very far away. It can seem like it's, like it's not even real, like it's really not a part of your life. But even in the midst of that stress, even in the midst of trying to operate every day in the real world, if we can take a moment and remember what Jesus has done for us, if we can remember what Peter says is the very reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. If we can remember that, then that will help us when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're participating in our hobbies, whatever it is that you're doing, that we can do those things with virtue, with moral excellence. Now, I want to I ask you a question, or a series of questions as we get ready to finish up. Um, I didn't get real specific today and say, this is what virtue looks like. And here's why I didn't do that. Because all of us live in different situations. Um, and, and I don't know what your work situation is like. I don't know if you go to school, what that's like. I can kind of remember what my school was like, and it was tough to be, uh, live a virtuous life there. You know, I remember that. Uh, I don't know what's going on with you in all that situation. But you already know. I don't think that I have to stand up here and give you A, B, and C. Do A, B, and C to live a virtuous life. I think already, as you're listening to me talk, God's already speaking to you and saying, hey, this ought to be something you ought to look at. This might be something that you want to work on. So let me ask you a couple questions. Just, just think with me for a minute. What, what would your life look like if you made every effort to supplement your faith with virtue? What would be different? What would be the same? What would you do more of? What would you do less of? How would the place that you work or go to school be affected if you were making every effort to supplement your faith with virtue? What would it look like? How would people react to you? How would, how would things change in that workplace, in that school, 
if you were every day a shining example of what it means to live a life of virtue. Now let me get a little more personal. How would your marriage be different if you made every effort to supplement your faith with virtue? Now stop just a second. Don't think about if they made every effort because that's one of the things we like to do. Well, if my wife, if she'd make every effort to supplement her faith with virtue, this, this, and this would happen. My husband, if he did that, my life would be a lot easier. But what if you did it? And what if maybe by you doing that, they got motivated and they wanted to be more like Jesus? Well, how would your marriage be different? And then think about this one. How would this church be different? If you're a part of this church, if you call this your church, if you come here every week, maybe, maybe you come here every week and you actually participate. You, you have a place to serve and you give some money and you engage in the service. Or maybe you just come and you sit and watch. Whatever your role is here, how would this church be different if we were all supplementing our faith, making every effort to add moral excellence, goodness, virtue to our faith by the way we live? And then think about this. How would our community be different if all of us were doing that? If every Sunday we walked out of here Every single person that was in here, however many it is, if we walked out of here every Sunday and we went into Monday morning and, and we are spread out, I guarantee you that if we stood up here and said, where do each of you work? We've got people all over Greenville County. We've got people all over Spartanburg County that are represented in here today where you go start, starting tomorrow morning. What if all of us went out of this place and we took our lives, we took our commitment to Jesus, and we were supplementing our faith with virtue we were living morally excellent lives in everything we do, in the way we do business, in the way we act at school, in the way we deal with our parents, in the way we deal with our kids, the way we deal with our husband and our wife. What would it look like? See, 10 years ago, uh, we started this church, almost 10 years ago. In September, it will be 10 years since, since, uh, since I kind of made it official and quit another job and had a couple of families that said we want to help you do this and and we started that 10 years ago and we did that with an idea that this community needed a church where people did more than just show up on Sunday morning stand and watch while people played music and then listen to a professional Christian run his mouth for 35 to 45 minutes we, we started this church believing that this community needed more than that. Not to say there weren't other churches doing that, but we thought needed another church doing that. And, and so that's what we've tried to do. And there's been ups and downs, and, and we've done well on some things, and we've done poorly on other things. But the, the goal is still the same. We want to be a church of people that, that you don't just show up here and you watch, but that you do make every effort to grow daily in your relationship with Jesus. You make every effort to supplement your faith. You do more than just listen to me. You read the Bible for yourself. You find a place to serve. You work on your marriage. You do all of those things, and then you go out into the world sharing those stories. See, I, I believe that, that if, we, if we do this, if we make every effort to supplement our faith, 
then it's going to help us accomplish our mission of helping people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. If each of us do that. In fact, Peter pretty much says that. Verses 5 through 7, let me read those to you again. He says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then verse 8, he says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to be an effective church, if you want to be an effective Christian in your workplace or in your school, then begin by supplementing your faith with virtue and with all the other things we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. It begins in you. Yesterday, I um, had an opportunity to go to a wedding. And um, it's a wedding of a, of a girl that's been a part of our lives for many, many years. Sherry taught her piano. She was in my youth group at Fairview. And it was great, very sweet wedding. I, I, probably, I could tell these two people loved each other probably more than just about any wedding I've ever been to. I mean, they were, they were bad off in love. I mean, they were really in love, you know. So it was awesome to see. And um, we're sitting there, and I've told y'all before, I'm a big crybaby. And every wedding I go to, there's two times I always cry. I can't stop it. The only way I could do is just not go to the wedding. As soon as the bride, you know, gets ready to walk down the aisle, when I see her and I see him, I start crying. And then at the end, when they kiss and everybody claps, I'm crying again. And so it was over with, and Sherry looked at me, and she said, Are you crying? I said, Of course I'm crying. It's a wedding. You know I was going to cry. And um, But, you know, one of the things that... that did a, the, about that wedding yesterday, I was thinking about it, and the pastor of the wedding, he did a good job talking about this with the couple there in front of everybody. You know, a marriage, there's something mysterious about a marriage. There's something mysterious about love. I, I, didn't, I didn't show up, I, I didn't walk into the very first time I met Sherry. I can remember meeting her for the first time. I didn't walk up to her and say, you know what, I'm going to fall in love with her and marry her. I had no idea. I just knew I liked those big blue eyes, and I liked that smile, and, uh, and I wanted to talk to her. That's what I knew. But I didn't, I didn't look at her and go, there, there's something mysterious, though, where it happens. You know that. That, that you can't explain. There's no way you can explain, yeah, this, these are all the reasons, A, B, and C, why, why I've married this person. If you can, that's, you've got a problem. It's just something mysterious about it. But on top of the mystery. If you want that marriage to work, what do you got to do? You got to work at it. If you're relying on the, if I'm relying on the fact that I looked at Sherry one day and as we were dating, I realized, you know what, I don't want to ever be with anybody else but her. If I'm hoping that's going to sustain me for going on now 23 years of marriage, it won't. What sustains that over the 23 years is we have to both work at it. And, and I have to decide, I want to put her needs first. And she says, I want to put your needs first. And that's the way we work on it. And our faith is the same way. There's something mysterious about it that can never, ever be explained. There's something mysterious about the fact that, that God somehow, He just imparts love and grace and mercy and He just inserts that into your heart and you couldn't get it out if you wanted to. I know Donnie's told me his story 
you've never heard Donnie's story, he talks about how he went back to church when he was 19 years old, and he realized, this is crazy, but Jesus wants, you know, loves me, and i got to do something about this. And a lot of you have those same stories, where there were those moments where it's like, I couldn't stop this if I wanted to. But, on top of that, what do you have to do? You have to work at it. You have to daily seek Him. Because this world is trying to push you away. And so what I want to encourage you to do, and what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks, is for you to make every effort to supplement your faith. Understand that Jesus saved you. You could not save yourself. But now that you're saved, we all have a responsibility to take that calling seriously and do something about it day in and day out. And we're all going to work on that together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that a man that lived a couple thousand years ago and got put in prison for following you was able to write a letter that that still applies to what we're dealing with today. It's still hard to live for you, Jesus. It's still hard to live for you even in 2014, even in the Bible Belt where we are. It can be a struggle. But we want to make every effort to be closer to you. We want to make every effort to have an impact on our community. And I believe that as a group of people that we can go out of here and really change the community and change the world. And I know that you've given us the tools to do that. So help us this week, help us tomorrow to live a life of virtue in the places where we work, in the places where we go to school, and in the neighborhoods we live in. And we will give you the glory and the honor for everything good that comes out of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name.